Welcome, everyone. My name's Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. And I'm sorry, and they're going to hate this, but I can't not do this. I've got two dear, dear friends and way more than dear friends. See, we can do it at the table because we don't have a schedule here. We just do whatever we want to do. But this is important because you guys know that Matt and I came out of Christ Presbyterian Church. And I not only grew up in faith under these two, but were mentored and um, have become the pastor I am. So you could talk to them after and complain if you want, or you could thank them. But I just wanted to welcome Rich and Jody Fino. So good to have you guys here. So fun to look out and see them. Like Maggie said, we're in that 40-day stretch of Lent. And gosh, it's so beautiful outside. Like the sun is shining, and that's the hope we hold in Lent, uh, right alongside um, the realization that we live in a really broken world. I mean, I don't think any of us could not be impacted by what's going on in Ukraine right now. It's, it's devastating. It's heart-wrenching to see cities destroyed and hospitals and homes and people fleeing and people being killed, both Russian and Ukrainians alike. It's horrible, and that's, to me, what Lent has really become, is the space in between, the space between our really broken world and that space where we hold hope. And it's a hard but beautiful space. And tonight, we're in the book of Luke. And you know what's interesting about Luke? That there's this overarching theme in Luke where we are called to change our perspective, a perspective that actually changes the way that we live in the world. And it begs the question, like, how is it that we worship God? Who and what are we committed to? And what does it look like to live out our faith? Not just here in this room, but what does it look like to actually bear, bear fruit in this world? Well, the text we're in tonight is Luke 13. And I'll be real honest, when I opened my Bible on Monday and started looking at it, I literally went, ugh, like, I do not want to preach on this unless you repent, unless you repent. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm like a pastoral care person. I don't really want to, like, do the, that kind of work. But I will tell you, as I dug into it over the week, peeled it back a little bit, it is a beautiful, beautiful moment from Jesus an invitation, something that gives us hope. And we're going to dig into that right now. Um, Luke 13, 1 through 5. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. It's sort of a hard passage, frankly. We've got Jesus speaking to the crowd, and they wanted to hear Jesus' insight sort of on current affairs. And you know what? The news wasn't real good was actually horrible. The Galileans had come to the temple for, to sacrifice for, with their sacrifices and Pilate's soldiers walked in and they slaughtered them and their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrifices pooled together in this sacred and holy place and it compounded murder with sacrilege. And what's so interesting is I think Jesus' response is not what they probably expected. It certainly wasn't what I expected when I was reading the text. Because if we expect Jesus to be the answer man, to reveal some kind of theology or answer to life's most persistent questions, 
We've made a mistake. That audience was expecting words of comfort. They missed the point. And I got to believe that this wasn't at all what they expected him to say, that maybe they were looking for some words of compassion, some words of care. But here's what I figured out, you guys. Jesus wasn't speaking as a pastor. Jesus was speaking as a prophet. And you know what? Sometimes prophets say really hard truths that are actually really hard for us to hear. Jesus, you know, he doesn't even discuss Pilate as he responds. He looks at his fellow Galileans, and he responds in a completely unexpected way, and he says this. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And there's an unspoken assumption that Jesus is speaking to here, that the Galileans somehow sinned big time, and here's God's judgment. See, in Israel's mind, sin and judgment were tied together. They were closely linked. And the Jewish belief was whatever evil came upon someone, it was a punishment for their sin. The more a person had to suffer, the greater their sinning must have been. But to this very simplistic notion, Jesus says, no. So Jesus goes on and he cites these two instances of disaster that were well known in his day. And one was an evil, one was an evil done by the hand of man, and the other was seemingly a natural disaster when this tower in Siloam fell and killed 18 people. Here's what I think is significant. Isn't that the hard reality of our life? That there's always a tyrant that acts, and there's always a tower that falls. Siloam's wasn't the last tower to fall, and Pilate wasn't the last dictator to kill and hurt people. Because tyrants and towers are a reality of our lives and of our world. And it can look a whole lot of different ways. It can look like poverty and homelessness and racism and white supremacy. It can look like war and crime and abuse. It it can look like divorce, accidents, disease. It can take on earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, wildfires, and those are some of the tragedies of our lives and of our world. Tyrants act and towers fall, and when that happens, we're faced with the truth. And here's the truth. Life is fragile. There are no guarantees. And you know what? Bad things actually happen to both good and bad people. Matter of fact, good things actually happen to both good and bad people. Sometimes by accident, Sometimes with intentionality. And here's where I think we go. This is where I go. But that's not fair. That's unfair, isn't it? Because we want to know why. In pastoral ministry, oh my goodness, we want to know why. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would this happen? And it's hard to get our heads around those things. It's hard, isn't it, to get our heads around what's going on in Ukraine right now. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't feel like, why, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or, oh, my gosh, what are we to do? What can I do? How do we just stand by and, and watch this? And that's by the hand of a tyrant. But towers fall, too. And you know what it made me think about? It made me think about the, the 35W bridge collapse. On August 1st, 2007, my husband and I, in a very busy season of life with lots of active, busy kids, were taking our daughter Kate out to Blaine for a soccer tournament that night. 
We lived on the west side at the time, so we drove around the city for all of our Blaine tournaments, and trust me, there were a lot of them. But that one time, Kate had a youth event through CPC over at, at Lake Calhoun. So Steve and I agreed, he was at a work meeting out west, I was gonna pick her up, he was gonna meet me there, and we were gonna head up 35W during rush hour on that day. I get down to Lake Calhoun, and I get a call from Steve going, this meeting's run late. You guys are going to have to come, swing by and pick me up, and we'll have to head west. And while we're driving out to Blaine, around the city, we hear on the news that the 35W bridge had unexpectedly collapsed and taken down with it 111 vehicles, 13 dead, 145 injured. Why? Why? Why for me? Why for them? Four years later, on the anniversary of that uh, bridge collapse, they opened a memorial. And on that first day, it was open just to the families and loved ones of those who had lost their lives. And I happened to be there. I, at the time, I was a Minneapolis police chaplain, and our role was to support those families. And I'll tell you, the tears, the grief, the sorrow, the why the loss. It was devastating. And I'll never forget, at the time, Mark Dayton was the governor. And he spoke to the group and he said, he called the collapse one of those why God moments. And that's the question we want to ask. We want to know the answer to the why. And in those moments, we often go for the quick, the too quick, to seek and maybe Look for the easy explanations. God has a plan. It's God's will. Everything happens for a reason. There's a lesson to be learned here. They're in a better place. Or even sometimes, they got what they deserved. And for some, I think it's oddly comforting to believe that suffering is a result of sin. Because here's what it does. It eliminates the randomness. It explains the suffering. It offers us a way to avoid disasters that we see befalling those that we know. And the inverse, right? Wow. The saints, there's no trials for the saints. How about the prosperity gospel? That ancient notion that prosperity and good health are signs that you are in God's favor. And friends, that still persists today. Despite all of the evidence. You know what's the best evidence? The one who was crucified on the cross was sinless. Do we ever step back and think about that? But Jesus understood. He understood the human tendency to try to control and avoid suffering by finding reasons for the occurrence, whether guilt or bad choices or bad luck. We cling to that false belief because somehow it makes us feel just a little bit better. And hidden deep down is that, well, if I kind of lay low under the radar, or if I do all the right things, none of that tragedy is going to happen to me. None of that illness, none of that hardship, none of that, that suffering. That happens to other people. Guess what Jesus says to that? Jesus says no. Jesus says no, and he says, you're asking the wrong question. Because he moves the question from why did this happen 
to what does it mean to me? And instead, he emphasizes repentance. Unless you repent. Okay, here we go, friends. Because this is so much better than it sounds. It's so much better than maybe what some of us have been taught over the years. Because as you look into it, repentance is an invitation. It's not fire and brimstone. It's not about um, shame and, and contrition and wearing sackcloth and ashes. You know what it's about? It's about coming around to see things the way God sees things. Jesus tells them to repent. The Greek word for that is matineo, to change your mind. Changing one's mind in a way that changes the way you live your life. And this is what's really interesting. The term in Greek is actually from the Hebrew word shuiv, the core meaning which is to return to to go home, to go back. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting his audience to actually correct their course. You've got a chance here. You can turn back, return to God. And in this passage, there's the reality that we can choose not to. We can choose not to, and there will be natural consequences for those choices. Here's what's really cool about this too, though. Do you note that he says, unless you repent twice? Unless you repent. And the ancient Greek grammar, we see Jesus, Jesus mentions both of these, and they're two different kind of repent. But they're both really important to the story. Because in 13.5, unless you repent, is described as a once and for all kind of repentance. But in 13.3, the verb tense, it's, describes a continuing repentance. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of find that hopeful because I know I need it. Isn't that what the life of faith is? It's a continuing, evolving, and growing, and changing, and seeing things in a bigger way, just like the way God does. It's the moment to moment. It's the reminder. It's why we need each other. It's the ongoing repentance that God calls us to in our life. And here's what else I love about it. This is not Jesus condemning. This is Jesus showing us the way. He is showing us the way. His purpose is to redeem. You know, prophets do speak hard truths. And some of those truths they speak, they kind of scare us. And they challenge us. They can even make us feel a little bit guilty or a little bit angry. But in that, in those prophetic words, they always grab our attention. And if we listen, they always lead to change. Because this is what Jesus is doing. He's looking at our lives and he's saying, reorient. You can do this. He's redirecting our perspective. So he finishes with this in our passage today. It's a parable of the fig tree. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up this soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. 
So Jesus returns to this, or turns to this parable of the fig tree that hasn't produced any fruit in three years. And the significance of fruit, if you look at how Luke uses it throughout his book, um, it always represents the human heart. And Jesus' message is clear. Don't be like the fruitless tree. Rather than focusing on what's going on over here in someone else's life or pointing a finger at their transgressions, look inside. Are you producing good? Make sure you're not ignoring your own missing fruit. Because the fruit of our life is what shows us who we really are. And what's the fruit that God's looking for? It's an easy place to start. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can't think of a better time in the life of the church than Lent to take a good, hard look at ourselves and ask a very real question, how's our fruit? How are we doing? And that's not just individually, that's communally. But here's another um, beautiful thing about this passage is that it's not too late. That's the good news. It's not too late. One more year, the gardener told the owner. And that's not about time, you guys. It's about grace and forgiveness and about second chances. And we get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance each and every moment, each and every day. But the urgency... The reason time is at hand is here's another reality that nobody really likes to talk about is that we all will die. And Jesus is saying, get your ducks in a row, friends. Turn back to God because you know what? If you want to live life, if you want a full life, you got to be reorienting your perspective on your own life. The urgency in Jesus' words is because life is short and life is precious and it's sacred. And sometimes we live as though that's not a reality. Sometimes we walk around half asleep or so busy we don't know which way is coming or going. But you know, sometimes life hits you in the face and you can't help but know Okay, life is precious. A couple weeks ago, I was over at Jovanelli's. And just for the record, I did check with Lynn and Gino before I shared this. But you, uh, most of you know, Lynn, uh, two years ago, was diagnosed with ALS. And we spent a few hours together. We ended up talking about a lot of hard things. Of course, Lynn was leading the way. Um, but one of the things we talked about about life is that here's our choice, friends. You either look to God and live fully or you don't and you waste this one precious life that you have. And boy, Lynn Giovanelli, man, she is living life and she is embracing every moment. And guess what? When it's sitting right here in front of you, you sure pay attention in a way that the rest of us forget to do. And in a very odd way, it's a very beautiful thing to watch. And one of the things Lynn and Gino and I spoke about was, man, you wouldn't wish this disease. And Lori, I know you know this more than anybody after losing Jim to ALS as well. But you wouldn't wish this on anybody. But I 
wouldn't change who I am and how I see God and see the world either in the way that I do since navigating this disease. And at the end of the day, everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. Jesus comments on the news stories of his time. Just as our, in our time too, narratives of destruction and distress, they capture our attention. But Jesus is saying, don't just look out, but look in. Because he's concerned not just what's going on in our heads, but where's our heart? What does that life look like? A life that's lived out of our heart. You know, Luke really kind of had these two odd case studies when you think about it. Very preoccupied with repentance and then a call to bear fruit. There's hope in there. There's an invitation in there. You know what I think the hardest part is? The hard part is choosing to live differently. You know, um, I use this quote not even that long ago, but it fits so beautifully. I wanted to use it again. And the poet Mary Oliver, in her poem, in the last couple lines of The Summer Day, she says this. Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I think Mary Oliver's question is at the heart of Jesus' call to repentance. Because repentance is about reclaiming this one precious life, this gift of life that God has given us. It's our choice to live and to live fully. And like I said before, no better time than now to examine our lives and ask ourselves those hard questions and really pause and take a look. So I'm going to throw up there, Patty, were you able to get them? <laughs> we were having trouble with our slides. There you go. A couple questions, and like Matt, last week, if you guys want to take a picture of it, great. If not, but some questions maybe we can ask ourselves. Where are we bearing fruit? Where are we not? Where do we need to spend time, energy, and care nurturing relationship and life? What are our priorities? And do they need adjusting? Who or what orients your life? Are we growing or are we wasting the soil in which we've been planted? We all pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we come before you, God, in this season of Lent, this season where we hold hope and our heart breaks at the same time. And our comfort is knowing that you are with us. So God, as we continue our journey to the cross, would you help us to have the courage, the courage to look honestly at ourselves, ask ourselves the hard questions, examine the lives we live. Help us to be people that aren't afraid to reorient our perspective, to turn around, to course correct, to come home to you. Because I know, God, it's easy to wander. I know I wander. God, we're so grateful that you love us the way you do that you call us to love one another. 
give us strength and courage, an extra dose of faith as we navigate our lives in this world. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Deva Owl. Oh, did I see your last name right? Owl. Owl. Hey, Deva, you guys, is actually finishing up her seminary degree at Union Theological Seminary. And lucky for us, and I'm assuming Charlie and kids, she, get to, she got to come home for her last semester from New York. And she, and I say this loosely, not on her part, on our part, because we have not been um, very organized, but she's interning with us, our first intern. And uh, she's gifted and talented and passionate, passionate about social justice. And we are just so grateful that she's with us. So Deva will lead us in words of institution tonight. Thanks, Debbie. Uh, I really appreciate the way that Debbie talked about repentance as a changing of perspective, a reorientation. And when I think about reorientation, I think about um, internal work, soul work. Um, I kind of look in here a lot. Um, but there's something else she brought up that I think is a vital aspect of reorientation, and that is community. Um, community can offer us really ne needed, necessary touchstones as we work through reorienting our lives. Um, but in order for that to be true, we have to engage in one of the practices that's been a theme of Lent for us this season, which is telling the truth. Just being honest about who we are, being authentic and vulnerable about where we are in life. And I think this is something that's a really beautiful example um, of community in the life that Jesus offered. Jesus himself did not try to go it alone. Jesus spent time in solitude. Jesus spent time with God. But Jesus also lived honestly in a community. And the night before Jesus died, he gathered together with his community, those he was authentic and vulnerable with, and he shared a meal. He broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And then he took the cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And when you drink this, remember me. If you have your elements, you can go ahead and, and peel back the plastic on the top to get to your wafer and the foil for the juice. Um, and let's take communion together as you hear the words of Jesus. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And then as you are able, I invite you to stand together as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his community. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship together. <laughs> 